All right, good morning. It is good to be here uh, with you. Uh, if you don't mind, Scott, shooting up the first slide. Um, <clears throat> not that one. John 16. It's, it's a picture. In John 16, 33, Jesus teaches to warn his disciples. And the truth he tries to teach is this truth. That in this world, you will have trouble. Or in the ESV says tribulation or tough times, right? And it's teaching us, reminding us that as we live in this broken world, that you're going to have tough times, difficult times, times when your heart is broken because the situation that you are in is very difficult, right? It kind of speaks to the relevancy of even this week, right? If you've been following the news, you saw the horrendous acts in Florida, Parkland, where a person just took lives. It's just trouble. We even had one member of our church. Uh, she lost her father, had a stroke. And just like that, less than a week, gone. And I don't know about you, but maybe some of you are in this room right now, and you're going through a time when you would consider it trouble, and your heart is maybe aching or broken. Well, this is the story of Hannah. And what we want to do this morning is we want to look at Hannah and learn some valuable lessons on how we should handle troubled times some valuable lessons on God through troubled times and how we ought to handle just life when it throws some really difficult times at us. So that's where we're headed. Does it sound good? Yeah, thank you. Um, I want to let you know, I'm just a little under the weather today, so if you're going to be tired, then I'll be really tired, okay? So if you would, just kind of help me out a little bit, but that's where we're headed. So the first thing we want to look at is Hannah's trouble. So let's take a look here in verse 1. <clears throat> and Pastor Steve, because he's a senior pastor, handled all those difficult words very well. But I'm just going to paraphrase for us. It says this in verse 1. There was a certain man, and his name's Elkanah. And in verse 2, it tells us that he had two wives. Hannah, who had no children, and Panina, who had many, many children. So her main trouble and heartache is that she cannot have kids. And you see, being a male, I can't fully delve into how heartbreaking that really is. And I don't know about you, maybe you're a single person that you're not even thinking about kids. So it's hard for you to enter into her world. Or maybe you're a mom and you've never had trouble having kids. But just so you get a glimpse into her struggle, into her heartache, I want to share with you actually a video because I want you to feel where she's at. Now, this is a video of three women who give their testimony on why they can't have kids and kind of their struggle with it. I want you to feel where Hannah is. Take a look. Growing up, my thoughts were that um, you meet someone, you get married, and you eventually have children. It kind of seemed like something that I would eventually do because it's what most people eventually do. I wanted kids really badly when I was growing up. Whenever I would get in trouble, I would write it down in my diary. Like, see kids? 
Even your mom was like this one day. In 2012, I was diagnosed with endometriosis, which is basically like one of the leading causes of infertility in women. I have hypothyroidism, I have um, Hashimoto's, and I have PCOS as well. So all combined are just really, really high risk factors. The definitive reason was unexplained times when I would talk about it, people would either A, change the subject or just B, kind of like awkwardly talk to me about it because they felt like it was something that I was really upset about and they didn't want to upset me further. I kind of didn't tell anybody for many, many, many years because it's not something that you tell people, oh, by the way, I have issues. I shared it so publicly via an anonymous blog. When I got married, within a year, I had, um, I got pregnant. I, I was like, yay, God is, you know, sending me this child, so I'm supposed to be a mom, and this is a sign. And within three months, I started um, having problems, and I started bleeding, and eventually, I had a miscarriage at home. There were a few times where I thought I was pregnant, and then I wasn't. It, it started to feel like I was cursed. It was never my choice, you know, whether or not I would be able to have children easily. I was seeing the face of the unborn child that I would never have. Whether or not you want to have children, receiving that piece of news is really hard and can change your life. I feel like I'm missing out on this club. I wanted to be a part of that club and I still couldn't get in. <laughs> I felt really lost and I felt like I couldn't offer what I needed to offer in order to be like someone that someone wanted to be with for the long term. It sucks sometimes. I don't know how else to describe it except that it just stinks. I can possibly do the hormones and do everything, but with my health issues, I don't know that that is the best or the smartest thing to do for either myself or any child that I bring into this world. It just felt like uh, my life was at the whim of this thing that didn't even exist. We made the conscious choice of not pursuing any more pregnancies. You don't have to give birth to someone to be their mother. And I think that was the turning point for me. So I said, let's just take this time to just be present with what's actually happening. And it was the best time for me. Think about like all the motherly characters in your life or the influences. Not all of them gave birth to you. We may in the future adopt a child or even foster for a child. Now I'm 38 and I don't want kids, which is such a weird thing to say out loud, especially considering who I was. I'm going to talk about it because it's my life and it's something that I went through and I want everyone to be able to talk about it and not feel ashamed that something happened to them that they cannot control. There's more ways to leave a legacy than a biological child walking around this earth. We have so much more going for us than just producing children and I just wish that everyone could see it the way that I see it. I want you to think of the difficulty of a woman who has the heart of a mother the desire to nurture a young life. She's not able to. This is a glimpse into Hannah's world. 
But you know, it's tough right now in our culture. But it's so much harder for Hannah. Because in the Old Testament culture days, not having kids was not just emotionally tough. It was a sign that you were cursed by God. It was grounds for divorce. Families would throw women away. Not that it was right, but that's what would happen in that culture. And so for Hannah, this is the trouble that she faces. So now you can understand why she's so heartbroken. And I want you to feel where she is at. Because that's her trouble. Well, point two, we find Hannah actually handling her trouble well. I'm going to tell you why. Because in the midst of her emotional struggles, she looks to the right solution. Because if you look at verse 10 of chapter 1 of 1 Samuel, this is what it says. This is Hannah's solution that she seeks. It says that Hannah, she was deeply distressed, and prayed to the Lord, and wept bitterly. See, I want you to see something. She was deeply distressed. She was brokenhearted. And it said, the Bible says that she wept bitterly. This isn't a pretty cry. You know, this is the ugly one. You know what I'm talking about? Not the one where like one tear falls kind of graciously, where you look cool. Now, this is the uncontrollable because you are at rock bottom. And see, the first thing I want to point out is as a Christian, I want you to know it's okay to cry. When you lose a loved one, it hurts. God can handle our tears, God can handle our grieving. And so we need to grieve well. But we see something here in Hannah that's so healthy is that even though she's brokenhearted, even though she's weeping, she takes all of the broken pieces and she takes it to God in prayer. Because that is the right biblical solution. Right? Because the Bible tells us constantly, right? We ought to ask, seek, and knock. In Psalm 18:6, it says this. We can shoot that up. Scott? It says, in my distress, the psalmist is declaring, and we will have distress. I called upon the Lord. To my God, I cried for help. From his temple, he heard my voice, and my cry to him reached his ears. As Christians, when we go through trouble and distress, and oh, we will have them, the proper biblical solution is that we should take it to God in prayer. Amen? That's always the biblical model. And we see Hannah doing that. But you know what's very powerful in this text? And it's a very valuable lesson for us. And this is the lesson. That when we pray, God sometimes changes our circumstances, but the most important thing that happens in prayer is that it changes us. I want you to see something very powerful in this. Follow the chronology of what's happening. Because in verse 18, something miraculous and powerful happens. Look at verse 18. 
And Hannah said, let your servant find favor in your eyes. Then the woman, right, talking about Hannah, went her way and ate, and her face was no longer sad. It's very interesting. She just prayed. She gets some encouragement from Eli, and then she walks away, and no longer is she sad, and she begins to eat. Follow the chronology. Isn't it interesting? She prays. She isn't pregnant. The answer hasn't come. But something happens in the prayer, which is very powerful for us. Prayer doesn't change the circumstance right there, but it changes Hannah. And in the midst of her prayer, she finds comfort. And she's able to be joyful, and she begins to eat. I want to tell you something. You know, one of the most important things you need to know about prayer is that you don't pray to get something, you pray to meet someone. And when you meet someone, that powerful God, all of your perspective can change in an instant. And that is why we are to go to God in prayer. I still remember um, one of the most difficult seasons of my life, I remember, was the first year I did ministry. I was a youth pastor. I shared this before, but that year, um, I just want to let you know, my senior year class, they were horrible. They were like the worst kids ever. Two of them almost got arrested because they were trying to start a fire underneath an underpass of a freeway. So the cops came, they had them chained up, and they said, hey, are you the pastor to these kids? I was like, no. No, I mean, yes, I am. I mean, they were terrible. I remember one kid, uh, his mom asked me to meet with him because he just smokes too much weed. So I said, all right, I'm going to meet with him. So for seven months, we met every week. And at the end of those seven months, you know what he told me? We were eating at Islands. I'll never forget this. We were eating at Islands. I'm sitting there. He says, Pastor John, I love weed. I love it more than God, so I'm not going to stop. I was like, man, seven months, man. I paid for every meal. You didn't pay for one meal, man. Why am I doing this? Right? I was getting so frustrated. Not only that, I still remember that was the first year my brother went into prison. You know, my parents, they come from a shame culture. They were having a really hard time dealing with that. Home life was not good. I still remember just, just feeling just down, feeling the weight of what's happening around me. But I, I share this because I want to point out, I, I remember distinctly, uh, I started doing a quiet time. And I went there because I was obviously having a difficult time, but I started reading Psalm 23. And something in that passage just rocked my world that morning, right? You guys know Psalm 23, right? The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want, right? And the part that I came to was, right? Though I walk through the valley of shadow of death, I will fear no evil because why? Remember? For you are with me. And a lot of times I stop there and I feel comfort. But what rocked my world that morning wasn't that. I had read that before. But what's the next part? which I don't know why, it never struck me, but do you remember the next part of that verse? What is it? Your rod and your staff, what did they do? They comfort me. And I don't know why, it just slapped me across my face. And the word of God was like speaking, like the Holy Spirit was speaking to me and saying, you can find comfort in the valley. Even though the circumstance might not change, there is comfort for you. 
Not because you're not in the valley. Because God is there. And I still remember going through that quiet time and it brought my world. And I stopped having a pity party and I started realizing God is enough right now. God is enough. I continued on. I don't know what you're going through, but I want you to understand when I say you need to go and pray like Hannah, this isn't a flippant thing that we just say all the time. Like, yeah, you're a Christian, so you should pray. No, there is an ultimate solution in Christ because when you go to God in prayer, he not, sometimes he'll change the circumstance. Sometimes he won't, but I guarantee you, he will change you. He'll give you a fresh perspective. So when we go to pray, we don't pray for something. We pray to meet someone. And we see that here. It's very interesting. If you follow the story of Hannah, it's very profound because she prays, she feels better. And then in chapter two, do you know what happens? She sings a famous song of worship. Who knows that song? Anyone? Have you ever studied it? Okay, I'm the only one. Well, she sings a very famous song. I want to just take you to one verse. Chapter 2, verse 10. Okay? This is the end of that worship song because now she's pregnant. And it's something profound that she says. Through the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, she says, the adversaries of the Lord shall be broken to pieces. Against them he will thunder in heaven. The Lord will judge the ends of the earth. He will give strength to his king and exalt the power of his anointed. Okay? You're like, Pastor John, what does that have to do with trouble? Well, I'm going to get there. Okay? This is the end of her prayer. Because at this time, currently, Israel has no king. They are looking for a king, like the other nations. So Hannah mistakenly might think that Samuel, her son, is the anointed. The one to come that will be king. Okay? But Samuel is not the king, right? If you follow the story, who's the king? Anyone? Saul is the king. And he's terrible. He's not a good king. Who's the king that follows Saul? David. David is actually really popular. He's like Justin Timberlake. Everyone loves him, right? We want more of him, right? But he's not a good king either. Why am I pointing this out? Like I said, it's not the circumstance. Israel was looking for a king, thinking that that would be the ultimate solution. Did you know, if you study this, that word anointed is the first time that it shows up in the Old Testament. The verb form shows up, but the noun form of his anointed, this is the first time ever it shows up in the Bible. You know what the Old Testament Hebrew word for anointed is? Misayak. Sounds like something, doesn't it? Because the word actually transliterates to what? Messiah, which we translate in the Greek to Christos, which is the Christ to come. See here, even in this, it's speaking to the culture of the day. They were looking for a circumstantial change, but the circumstantial change isn't the solution. The solution is Christ. Even for Israel, not just for Hannah. This is why in Luke 1, when Mary has a son, 
miraculously, she sings a song called the Magnificat in Luke 1. It's very similar to the same song in chapter 2 of 1 Samuel. Did you know that? We don't have time to get into that. But if you take a look, and what you're going to see is that it was always pointing to the fact that Jesus is the ultimate solution, that we ought to find Christ. and He's our ultimate solution. It's not the circumstantial things in life. This is why I love that hymn, Come Thou Fount of Every Blessing, right? I love that hymn. And the part that I really love is the phrase that says, prone to wander, Lord, I feel it, right? Prone to leave the God I love, right? You remember that? And you know what I love about this? It's because that's really in all of us. But the idea of the whole song is, come thou fount of every blessing. Not come every blessing, not come the blessing that I'm looking for, but you, the one that, the fountain that brings all those blessings, that's who I want. That's who we need to pursue. There is a fountain that we ought to seek that quenches every thirst. And Hannah finds it in her prayer. When God becomes that ultimate thing, you're, you're able to digest point three. Because what's going to happen is Hannah's going to make a vow to God and she's going to sacrifice Samuel and say, Samuel's going to serve you all of his days. So let's take a look there. Hannah's sacrifice. In verse 11... It says, and she vowed a vow and said, O Lord of hosts, if you will indeed look on the affliction of your servant and remember me and not forget your servant, but will give to your servant a son, then I'll give him to the Lord all the days of his life, and no razor shall touch his head. This idea of no razor meant that he's going to be a Nazarite like Samson, Right? That he's going to serve God all of his days. Now think about that. She's wanted this son so bad. And now all of a sudden now she can say, well, um, whatever you want to do with him, God. You know why you're able to do that? Because for Hannah, the son wasn't the ultimate thing. Jesus was the ultimate thing. God was the ultimate thing. And when God is the ultimate thing, everything else if God takes it away or uses it for his glory, it's okay. Whatever trouble, whatever you're pursuing, I want you to know it's not the circumstance that will quench you. It's Jesus. And so come to him and give to him and know that whatever you sacrifice, that God is so much better. I want to just share one verse that I shared in John 16, 33, we read that in the beginning, right? It says this, I have said these things to you that in me you may have peace. Because in the world you will have trouble or tribulation. Now check this out. This is a solution. Take heart. Jesus is speaking. I have overcome the world. See, in our trouble, we have to learn a valuable lesson from Hannah. Seek Jesus. He's the answer. It's not the new job. It's not the more money. 
It's not the relationship you're looking for. Those things will not satisfy, will not quench the thirst, the God-shaped vacuum or void in your heart. The ultimate solution is Christ himself. And he came down seeking you and I. And may we go running after him. Amen? Let's pray together. Jesus, we thank you. We look at the story of Hannah, and it's just really powerful. There's just so much here. But I want to pray especially for those that share that brokenheartedness. Maybe there's some of us in this room that are going through a very difficult time. Would you remind us that there's comfort to be had? That in the valley, that there's comfort available in you. That you are with us. And may we pursue you, seek you in prayer. And in that prayer, I ask that you would come and just transform our hearts and give us a spiritual perspective and eyes to see what you see, God. We love you. In your name we pray. Amen.